0: Welcome to the Sci-Fi Reading Series Podcast. I'm science fiction author Kate Sheeran-Swed, and every week I read two chapters from one of my books. This is season one, and I'm reading from Chaos Zone, the first book in the Parse Galaxy space opera series. Make sure to scroll on back to the first episode in the season if you need to get caught up. Stick around after the chapters for exclusive behind-the-scenes commentary. Let's get on with this week's episode. Chapter 21 There was no way a system could look fancier than any other when viewed from space, but Sloane always thought that Halloran's system managed it anyway. She'd only visited a couple of times before this, her father hadn't been big on far-flung vacations, and the place always seemed to have an extra bit of sparkle, as if someone had polished Halloran itself and arranged its orbiting planets like jewels in a crown. Or maybe it was just the system's reputation that gave it that extra glow. It was home to the most luxurious station in the galaxy where celebrities famously mixed and mingled, and several resort-only moons that featured equator-wide beaches. She'd always wanted to visit one of those. As she watched their entrance into the system from the side port in the kitchen, she couldn't help thinking that it was really very beautiful. She hadn't slept well, even in the cushy bed in the Obsidian City Hotel Stryker had booked for her. The conversation with Ivy had haunted her all night, making her toss and turn as she tried to replay every comment, every movement. The information on Ivy's card was sparse, and Sloan had no way of knowing who she worked for. She couldn't trust anyone Alex and Hilda, sure, but not Stryker, and certainly not Ivy. The woman didn't want to find Vin out of the goodness of her heart, so why? Until Sloane knew the answer, she needed to tread carefully. "'Your father wants to talk to you,' Bro said, snapping her into the present, his voice piping in from the ceiling, and Sloane sighed. "'Did Dad have some kind of alert that activated whenever she set foot or spaceship into a center system?' "'Way to ruin the view!' Sloane pulled out her flip-tab, with every intention of silencing yet another call from her father, but there was nothing on it. He's not calling me. "'No, he's calming the ship,' Bro said. Maybe he thought you'd actually answer. "'Take a message,' Sloane said, and don't judge me. "'I'm already conversing with him. He just called me a hairless fist of wires. Is that good? I don't even have a body, so it's accurate, though it seems unnecessary to point it out.' "'Sloan snorted. No, Dad makes up his own nonsense curses and insults sometimes. The angrier he is, the more ridiculous they get. And off-color, too, or so he seemed to think. Did her mother still roll her eyes at those? Did her little sister still hide a giggle behind the back of her hand? Lisey must be getting old by now. How long had it been since Sloan had seen her? Too long, if she had to wonder. "'Oh,' bro said, "'how angry do you think that one was?' I'd say about 7 out of 10. Oh, well, in that case, Bro trailed off, and for a moment she thought it was focusing on the conversation with her father, though that was silly, really, since an AI could carry on more than one conversation at once. To be fair, most AIs could do that. Bro was special. When it stayed silent for a full minute, Sloane frowned. Bro liked to talk. The trick was getting it to shut up, and she hadn't expected it to drop the conversation completely. Hello? Hello? Sloan tapped the side of the ship, which Fortune would probably laugh at her for, though that assumed the commander was capable of laughter. The A.I. didn't have nerves, and she couldn't jumpstart it into talking with a good wham, but whatever, Fortune didn't know everything. Are you there? A triangle, bro said, is perpendicular to a fornicating shovel. Sloan sighed, yeah, I'd say that's more like a nine out of ten for Dad. New grammatical structure, though, he's changing it up. The ship rocked, hard, and Sloane went flying across the kitchen table, landing headfirst on the booth, with her feet still splayed over it. When she righted herself, the booth was briefly on the floor, gravity pulling her sideways, at least as opposed to the normal ways. Sloane, Hilda's voice rang into her ear from somewhere, the ceiling, her ear, she was all mixed up. We got Fox Clan. Great. That was just great. Great. Sloane unfolded herself from the booth and slid out onto the floor, grateful that no one was there to see her. She pushed herself up as the ship lurched again, staggering toward the short bridge that connected the kitchen to the pilot's deck. "'Bro,' she said, "'prepare the weapon systems, will you?' "'The purple rainbow wants to simulate the brothel,' Bro said. "'Okay, tell Dad he's gross and hang up. We've got bigger problems.' The ship shuddered as if in response, though she wished it wasn't quite so eager to reinforce the point." Her stomach jumped and she swallowed hard, willing her gourmet obsidian city breakfast to stay put as Hilda maneuvered. "'Brighton,' bro said. "'The knotted, hairless wires are from Brighton. The doors are gaping with—' "'Do not finish that sentence,' Sloane said. "'Are you trying to tell me Brighton's messing with you?' "'Okra!' "'I'll take that as a yes.' Sloane grabbed onto a storage shelf and used it to swing herself back in the opposite direction." Hilda didn't need her help on the pilot's deck, not really, so Sloane would have to go deal with Brighton, or at least fix the damage he'd done. She hauled herself across the line of shelves as the ship dipped and curved, Hilda hopefully using her ace pilot skills to get them out of this mess. When she took a particularly hard turn, Sloane narrowly kept from slamming her head on the shelf. Why did she somehow always find herself diving through Uncle Vin's stars damned ship with FoxClan dragon ships on her ass? She should have asked Stryker for enhanced shields and a retirement package. She started through the kitchen with the intention of using the spiral staircase to drop down into cargo. Before she could start down, though, a light in the medbay caught her attention. It was too bright, as if one of the side ports had been opened back there. Of course she shouldn't be able to see anything if the pod were still attached to the end of the med Bay the way it should be, using the frame of the door for leverage. Sloane pulled herself into the med Bay, ignoring Bro's senseless yammering and Hilda's shouting in her ear. One of the escape pods was indeed dropping away from the money maker, the sight crystal clear through the now open side port, thoughtful of Brighton to leave her a window. The little pod zipped through with a thick cluster of fox clan ships. There were so many of them, their wings tucked into their sides, noses aimed at Moneymaker. They had her surrounded, like a bug in a jar. All at once, it seemed like Hilda's constant maneuvering wasn't nearly enough. They'd never face down this many ships. Even with their shields at full capacity, Moneymaker wouldn't last long. Yes, alerts would be going off all over Halloran system, security protocols would be activating, ships no doubt zooming out of ATMO to meet the threat. By the time help got here it'd be too late. Not for Brighton, though. Somehow the little pod was pinging through the cluster of enemy ships with ease. They ignored him. Sorry, kid. Now Brighton was in her ear, and she had a feeling the guy was still using her own comm system to talk to her, or overriding bro somehow. Can't stay. It was kind of insulting, given that he'd clearly been capable of busting out of that crate the whole time. He could have escaped well before this, and he hadn't bothered. He'd been waiting for her to make a move, and now he'd hacked her A.I. into near-uselessness. Still that pod looked like a mouse dashing through a den of cats, defenseless. She didn't want Brighton to die. Get punched a little, maybe, but not die. Fox clans attacking us,' she said. "'They'll take you out, too. You've got no shield, no guns, nothing.' Brighton barked a deep, humorless laugh. They're too busy with you to bother with me. You stole their bounty and handed it over to the CTF. Short attention spans, these guys. Besides, I tweaked the signals so this looks like a bot ship. No one inside. Sloane swallowed hard, fighting to keep the bile from rising into her throat. That's a useful skill. Very. Anyway, I figure I'd rather not die there, no offense, and I'm definitely not going to rot in a prison on Halloran. I hear they've got really luxe ones. Nevertheless, you're on your own, kid. She wanted to say that she thought they were friends, but the words dried on her tongue. He'd been her prisoner, a legal bounty but not a friend. She would have turned him in, no questions asked. Brighton might be a good conversationalist, and he might have stood up for her with Bellow, but he wasn't her uncle. He was just another man, and he was doing what they did best, first betraying her and then running away. The ship swayed. "'I cannot keep this up forever,' Hilda said in her ear. "'Sure you can,' Sloane said, trying to sound like she believed it. "'You're an amazing pilot.' "'There are dozens of those ships, maybe a hundred. "'They followed us right out of Pike.' "'Yes, she could see that. "'Where had they been hiding that Stryker hadn't known they were there? "'Or maybe he had known. "'Yet another name for the not-a-friend list.' "'Then shoot at them,' Sloane said. "'I'd love nothing more, but Brighton took out the guns.' "'The guns, the pod, the AI. "'What had he left her with?' Sloan wanted to cry, or hit the ship, or both, but none of those things would save their lives. Gritting her teeth, she wrenched herself away from the window and headed for engineering, hoping her newfound mechanical knowledge would be enough to fix the guns. Even though Fortune hadn't shown her the guns or even mentioned them, no doubt for good reason. To be fair, they hadn't been fixing the guns at the time, but at the moment she wasn't exactly inclined to feel kindly toward any men who acted friendly. She scanned her palm against the door and staggered into the engineering room as Moneymaker lurched hard enough to spin her straight into the wall. She pushed forward anyway, bracing her hand along the wall. Even with the ship jerking her around at every step, the smell of grease and metal was grounding. Not quite comforting, but almost. She wasn't a gearhead, but for a second she thought she got it. She took a long breath and then another. Brighton had left in a hurry. He was a good hacker, but she knew this ship. She could fix it. A blast tore through her eardrums, reverberating in her ribcage, and the floor dropped out from under her. She went flying toward the rail, her body sliding between the metal slats without her permission as the ship flipped. Her legs slammed against the side of the reactor casing, but she ignored the blast of pain from the hit and hooked her elbow around the rail to catch herself before she could fall the rest of the way. Her arm jolted, a quick warning shot of pain, but it stopped her forward momentum, so there was still reason to be optimistic about her chances. The ship spun again and she cried out as her elbow took on her full weight, her body nearly slipping before she managed to clench the fingers of her left hand around the rail to relieve some of the pressure. Still, sparks erupted across her vision as pain crackled through the right side of her body, hot and fierce. If that arm wasn't broken, she'd be shocked. The ship spun a third time, and she held onto the rail, legs flailing, alarm lights flared across her vision, and though she couldn't hear the accompanying bells, either the blast had been that loud, or the sounds were out, neither could be good. That was a hit, Hilda's words were blurry, but legible as they streamed across Sloane's eyescreen, while she hung there, gulping in air, trying to use her good arm to pull herself back up onto the platform. They bypassed our shields, better suit up. Chapter 22 Better suit up. Easier said than done when Sloane was dangling from the rail and engineering from one good hand and one broken arm. A direct drop to the next level wouldn't have been so bad under normal circumstances, ten feet maybe. But the ship was spinning, either by Hilda's design or because it was out of control, and if she let go, she could end up falling all the way to the bottom of the ship. She didn't want to estimate that drop. Or end up bouncing between various bits of dangerous machinery. Yeah. It wasn't good, but those alarms were still flashing, and Hilda's instructions blinked like a time bomb in her eyescreen. How long did she have? Her lungs were already burning, and it was impossible to tell whether that was because of the exertion, the pain, or the failing life support systems. Pick one, she muttered. She tightened her good hand's grip on the rail. It was dewy with condensation now, a bad sign in the realm of life support, and pulled. The ship spun again, and her feet went up over her head. Her injured arm felt like it was on fire. It took every ounce of will in her possession not to yank it away from the rail. Why aren't you suiting up? Hilda's text streamed across her vision, and she wanted to rip the eye screen out to get rid of the distraction. I'm a little busy trying not to die. Well, hurry up, or you'll die anyway. Sloane wished she could believe the pilot was exaggerating, but her lungs were definitely working harder now, and it was from more than the rigorous not-dying exertions. "'I could use some help.' "'I'll call the security officer. "'Oh, wait, you bought a defective AI instead.' "'This really isn't the time. "'Can you keep the ship steady for thirty seconds? "'You've got five, starting now.' Gritting her teeth, Sloane pulled. Tears streamed down her face, and her sore throat told her she was yelling in pain. But she didn't stop pulling until she heaved herself up over the rail and back onto the platform. It felt like thirty minutes, but it must have been within Hilda's five seconds.' The ship banked again, and she held on. When she survived this, she was going to replace those gap-filled rails with slabs of aluminum siding. Sloane crawled to the emergency cabinet, smashed it open, and pulled past the pain in her arm to rip a helmet out. She yanked it onto her head, engaged the seals, and took a deep breath of sweet, sweet O2. She hadn't realized how dense the air was getting. A calm chimed in the helmet, and she would have been relieved to have her hearing intact those alarm lights still blazed silently overhead, had her right arm not been dangling uselessly at her side. The Calm channel said the message was from another ship. The saber was requesting a connection. She didn't know the saber, except she was pretty sure she did. Sloane leaned back against the wall, taking another long breath before reaching for the rest of the suit. She had a feeling she was going to need it, and then she accepted the comm. My god fortune, she said, could you have named your ship anything more testosterone-fueled? Size doesn't matter, you do know that. There was a beat of silence. She supposed he could have had one of his officers staffing the comms, but somehow she knew he didn't. And then he said, could you have named your ship anything more mercenary? Probably, but I didn't name my ship. And I didn't name mine. Sloane pulled her legs into the bottom of the suit, then braced her back against the wall and used it to help her up so she could slip her good arm into the sleeve. The other one was going to be painful. You know, for a military body that aims to promote peace, you've got violent ship names, I'm just saying. That's because no one would take us seriously if we showed up in a ship called the Cupcake. Sloane actually laughed at that, which shook her shoulder and ended up sounding more like a gasp of pain. Fortune, Sloane said, did you just make a joke? Don't get used to it. She was surprised to realize she could hear the concern in his voice. He had to have heard that gasp. You sound... are you all right? She didn't want to ask for his help, but she didn't see what other choice she had. There were times for pride, and there were times for not dying. This was most certainly the latter. Yeah, about that, Sloane said, I'm kind of hoping your testosterone-fueled ship might be somewhere nearby. And willing to bully some Foxclanners out of, I don't know, killing us? Your guns are still down? Sloane eased the second sleeve up over her injured arm, wincing as she finished the cuff. She zipped up the suit and activated the seals for full pressure. They were up, but Brighton took them down again. He left in a hurry, broke the AI, and I'm in engineering. With your ship cartwheeling like that? Leave it to him to know exactly what that meant. Affirmative, Commander. I've been bouncing around in here like a kernel of popcorn. Now are you going to help me or just judge me? I'm not. Okay. He took a breath, and she could almost hear the commander side kicking in. If he called her soldier, she intended to riot. Your plasma cannons are an add-on, something your uncle builds onto the existing structure of the freighter. Your AI wouldn't control them. Why not? "'Because your uncle is a smart man and he knows better than to bridge the central ship systems with the weapons, "'especially in a modular vessel like his. "'They'd be separate. Trust me on that.' "'Sloan leaned back against the wall again, heart skipping, arms shaking with the effort of ignoring the pain. "'You're talking about Uncle Vin in the present tense. You don't think he's dead?' "'Yes, well, I'm an optimist.' "'Or he knew exactly where Vin was.' But for some reason, Fortune wanted to help her, or at least keep her alive, so she wouldn't question it for now. "'Your weapons programming's at the bottom of the spiral,' Fortune said. "'If Brighton took off in a hurry, I'm betting you just flipped a switch.'" "'You scoped the weapons out when you were on the ship, didn't you?' "'I'm an optimist and a realist.'" Sloan pushed herself back up to standing and followed his directions, taking the steps carefully, bracing herself against the left side of the railing with her good hand— She needed to hurry, but if she fell again, she'd never be able to get back up. Every step jolted her arm with a new bolt of pain. You also seem like an enthusiast. Possibly. She was going to need to remember, if she survived this, that the commander gave much more away in the tone of his voice than he ever did with his face. The ship banked, shuddering as more hits flicked against the sides of the ship. "'Sloan slammed into the opposite wall, hissing in a sharp breath as her broken arm jostled. "'The suit was poor protection for the injury. "'You're hurt,' Fortune said. "'It sounded like an accusation. You said you were all right. "'You asked if I was all right. I didn't answer.' "'He paused as if replaying the conversation in his mind. "'Or maybe he was literally replaying their conversation. "'She could see him recording this. "'Tell me again why you're not shooting at them yet?' "'I am shooting at them,' he said. "'Why do you think you're not dead? "'But there are a lot of them, and your ship is right in the thick of it.' "'Right. Wouldn't want to die from friendly fire. "'Not that Fortune was friendly, he was just not currently her enemy.' "'Sloan stepped down onto the bottom level of Engineering Bay. "'I'm here, now what?' "'Finn had the weapon controls installed in a metal trunk. "'It's welded into the center of the floor.' If I see him again, I'm going to make sure to tell him it's an inconvenient spot. Agreed. Your palm scan will open the top of the box. Sloan dropped to her knees and placed her suit-shielded palm against the panel in the top. The box clicked open. How did you get it open? Same way Brighton did, I imagine. She waited, but he didn't say anything more. Are you going to enlighten me? No. Now check the controls. The box was full of controls, bundled wires and zigzagging switches and blinking red and green lights. It was a mishmash of tech that she didn't understand. Chips and cords and all. Not for the first time she wondered what the hell she was even doing here. But she didn't realize her addled brain had spoken the question out loud until Fortune said, "'You are looking for your uncle, and you're going to find him. The next step in that process is to check the controls.' He sounded certain. How could he sound so damn certain? There were tears leaking down her cheeks, and they really needed to stop because they were making her vision blurry. The helmet sucked away the moisture, but she couldn't wipe her nose, and it was annoying. I don't know what I'm looking at. She swallowed, hoping Fortune wouldn't be able to hear the tears in her voice, so she suspected he probably could. Look for a disconnected cord or switch that's flipped to red. They should be green. The ship rocked, and she used her knees to brace herself against the side of the control box. Cradling her injured arm to her chest, she reached her left hand into the box and sifted through the wires. There, she said, loose end. Now find the empty slot. She shifted the wires aside, peering in close. There are two empty slots. One for plasma, one for missiles. You've got both. No railgun? Your ship would tip over. No railgun. Plasma's usually green. Laser's orange. Match those in. "'Sounded simple enough? Or would have been if any of the wires had been color-coded. "'They're all gray,' she said. Every single one. "'Got a knife?' "'Yes, but she probably shouldn't use it with her Atmos suit keeping her alive and her hands shaking like this.' "'Still, she didn't see much of an option. "'She fumbled into the emergency tool kit at her waist, withdrew a small blade, and crouched down, "'her hurt arm screaming at her as she extended it so she could hold the wire steady.' Not to rush you, Hilda said, but where the hell are you? Sloane's hand slipped, and she pricked the fingertip of her suit. The material immediately split out a gob of patching liquid, and she let out a long breath, steadying the blade all the time in the world. Fortune's voice was steady, calm. he'd probably been in a worse battle before breakfast. Keep going to Sloan's surprise. Hilda didn't argue. With pain ratcheting up her arm, Sloan held the wires down and sliced into the gray coating. One wire was green, the other was orange. She swallowed back a sob of relief, forced the wires into their spots, and watched as the lights turned green. I did it, she said. She was pretty sure the sob was audible this time, a bubble in the back of her throat, but she didn't care. Guns should be live. Affirmative, Hilda said. Now get your ass back up here. Sloan half expected Fortune to bark at Hilda, but he didn't. Not his soldier to command, apparently. At least, he knew it. With her legs shaking and black spots crowding the sides of her vision, Sloane pulled herself back up onto her feet. Blood pulsed into her head, but she ignored the sensation as she ran up the spiraling ramp, protecting her injured arm against her chest as best she could. She pushed through the med bay and made her way through the pilot's deck. As soon as she arrived, Alex jumped up out of the co-pilot's seat as if it had burned her. Sloane expected the scientists to abandon the flight deck altogether, but Alex pressed her lips together, like she might be sick, which Sloan could not blame her for, and dropped into the jump seat. Sloane strapped in, trying to hide her injury, but Hilda took one look at her and went white. "'Sorry,' she said. Sloane couldn't hide her surprise. An apology from Hilda? And for what? Saving their asses? Trying to hurry Sloan when they were under attack and leaking Atmo? "'No reason to be,' Sloane said." Outside the viewport, a beautiful rainbow of missiles went spiraling out from Moneymaker, sending a handful of Fox Clan ships up in pretty little balls of flame. The fleet frigate was firing, too. She couldn't believe his ship was called the Sabre. She really couldn't. And the thick swarm of clan ships was getting thinner. We might just win this, Sloane said. She really shouldn't have said it. As soon as the words left her mouth, a new ship poked its nose out of the current and it kept coming and coming. Beside it, Fortune's frigate looked like a dolphin keeping company with a whale. This ship would dwarf a decent-sized moon. She didn't know how the current could hold the whole thing, though she was admittedly vague on how current tech worked in the first place. "'Tell me that's one of yours,' Sloane said. The commander took a very long moment to respond. When he did, there was an edge to his voice she hadn't heard before. "'Negative.' not one of ours. When the rest of the ship emerged, it was at least clear whose side they were on. It soared out of the current, with starlight wings extended, no doubt drinking in Halloran's rays for power. It looked like a dragon mother surrounded by her children, and when it extended its cannons, it was absolutely clear that the dragon meant to kill them all. Thank you for listening. I've got one quick news item today and you've probably guessed what it is. If you're listening live or watching live, um, the, uh, Kickstarter campaign for the special edition omnibus is going for one more week, exactly one more weeks. And, um, to, from when this goes out to when the Kickstarter ends. So if you're on the fence about jumping in, please click the link down below in the show notes and, um, check out the campaign. And I believe that this is the, let me just check. I'll check live instead of checking before I start reading. Um, yeah, next week I'm going to be reading three chapters. Is that right? Yeah, I might read four because the epilogue is long. Um, It goes to chapter 27. So yeah, so next week will be like the final episode of this reading of Chaos Zone, and I hope you have been enjoying the readings. Um, That last chapter that I read is maybe one of my favorite chapters I've ever written. I feel like, um, I don't know, it's just it really balances kind of the journey that Sloane is going through with the action of the moment and her relationship with Gareth kind of going forward. Um, It's just like I always try to figure out like how could I read this chapter in a reading or live or something without um, giving anything away or spoilers because it's so late in the book. Um, And uh, if you have any ideas on that, or if you're like, no, be fine, you can read it, just let me know. (laughs) Because I'm always trying to read the funny stuff. But I really like that chapter a lot. I really, I don't know, it just, it works out really well for me, like a nice balance. And um, I feel like I have a tendency to sometimes kind of rush through the action and rush through it there. And for me personally, as a reader, Action is always more interesting when it is um, fueled by that emotion. Like, if it's just, like, hit, punch, kick, turn, like, it's fine. I mean, I'll, I'll, I read through them. you know, I enjoy, this is the kind of book I read. I This is all I read, not all I read, but it's a lot of what I read. Um, but it's kind of like a love scene, you know, if, if there's not any, like, kind of emotional pull behind it, like a push and pull um, emotionally I said emotionally like 50 times in this sentence because I'm going off the cuff again. <laughs> it's not um, reading from notes. But if um, if there isn't some deep flaw or question about themselves that the character is trying to resolve, or if you're not, you know, deeply worried about, you know, who they're going to be at the end of the scene. I don't think any of us come out of, come and start that scene thinking, well, Sloan's going to die, because this is the first book in a series. It's not that kind of series. Um, and certainly, there are plenty of action fight scenes in it that are really there for, um, you know, excitement and pacing and all of that. But, um, you know, this one in particular, I think really comes down to Sloane being quite uncertain of herself and her place in this new, for her new kind of world. Um, where she's just trying to keep up with all the changes and all of the, just everything that's been happening. Um, it's, there's just more, there's more weight to it to, for me personally, um, when I read a scene like that in a book. And so that was what I was going for. And I hope that I achieved it. Like for me, when I reread it, it feels achieved and I don't always get there. So that one is something that I'm always still kind of striving for. It's like, you know, she's going to come out. Okay. In the end so but who is she gonna be or who's she gonna turn into or what mistakes are she gonna make along the way that makes the reader go oh that's awful don't make that mistake except it also makes perfect sense that you would make that mistake because you don't want someone to make mistakes just for the sake of pushing a plot forward so I always start my books from that perspective of the character being flawed and in order to sort of get what they want or win the day in the end they need to resolve those flaws for themselves Um, And that is just how I approach the story. And so if I go into action scenes with that in mind, that they need to be able to face their flaw here, um, it just, I don't know, for me, it's more exciting. So that's one of my favorite scenes. Um, And I might forget to say this next week. So um, one of my Kickstarter... uh, Backers um, just asked. i got in a really nice conversation about Wheel of Time, which is one of my favorite series of all time. It's a fantasy series by Robert Jordan, and when Jordan passed away um, before finishing the series, Brandon Sanderson finished it. I probably don't need to tell you that, but in case you're not familiar um, with it, it's amazing. I mean that the books are just. Oh, I love them. They're so good. Um, but he said, "Well, I knew you're a Wheel of Time fan because you have a character named Gareth, and he is the first person to ever." say Gareth um to note that Gareth is named after one of my favorite characters from the Wheel of Time which is Gareth Brine who's a general and um of these armies and I won't say any more than that but he is um really awesome and I love his arc and he's just really cool so um that's cool that the kickstarter backer pulled that out so if you ever have questions like that you can always ask me and um if you back the kickstarter campaign (laughs) Not to go back to it, but we're going back to it. If you back the Kickstarter campaign, um, even for a dollar, um, you will get a video commentary um, about the Parse Galaxy and about the books and about some of the Easter eggs that are in them. I know that these commentaries have been really fun and I've been able to add a lot of, you know, kind of background information about how I approach story or how I came up with characters or things like that but this is going to have some visual aids um, that's why I do a visual commentary so I can share some inspiration photos and kind of go into some of the research that I do especially with my last series um, I did the interstellar trials had a lot more um, very serious research about interstellar travel and things like that Um, not that it was a very hard science book either, (laughs) but, um, yeah, so that is, if you're interested in this kind of background stuff, either the Easter eggs about Gareth or my writing process and stuff like that, I am, um, including that in every level of the Kickstarter. So if you're just, you know, an enthusiast, you want to show up and support the campaign. Um, I didn't really mean to go back into a pitch here, but, um, I like sharing that kind of information, and so I try to make it really fun. Um, not, it's not a PowerPoint. If it is, it's a fun PowerPoint. Um, anyway, thank you so much for listening. I am going to be excited to be back next week. I'm going to conclude the book next week, partly because my kids are starting summer vacation. They're going to be home. It's going to be loud. I'm sorry about the cat meowing, by the way. <laughs> if you heard that in the background, I did chase him out. Um, there's a lot of pandemonium during that particular reading. But um, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's reading. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss the next episode. For more information about my books and to join my VIP reader crew, visit kateshiranswed.com.